Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCorsi here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. I'm so excited today. Tell me why, buddy. I'm going to lock your ass up. Are you? Yeah. I don't believe it, man. Yeah. I think, but Finally. I, I, I know what I did today. I locked down a great a great guest to talk to us about really? a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah. With us today, we've got Harold Hess, who is the CEO and co-founder of EnduraLock. Harold, what's up? Hello, everybody. Um, happy to, to discuss the company and how we got here. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, we'll get all into that. So, um, you know, for those of you listening, you know, I like it when you're interactive. Go to enduralock.com, E N D U R A lock.com, or if you're on the Twitters at enduralock. So, um, Harold, I'll, I'll continue to shout your accolades. So, your company does a lot of really cool stuff. You were demonstrating some of it. Um, prior to me hitting record, but recently you guys were a winner in the 2019 NASA iTech cycle competition. Is this true? Yes. Uh, that was in July. Um, we, uh, it, it was in Mountain View, California, and we competed, uh, against a number of other companies. They chose three, three winners. We were one of the three. Okay. So what was the competition for? It's basically they're looking for technology that uh, NASA would be interested in, but that would also have other industrial applications. And so it could be any kind of thing, or was it like a specific well, it's, problem to solve, or was it just of any possible it, technology? It's, it's really any possible technology that could be of interest uh, to NASA. Uh, so for, for an example, uh, another competing company had a... Um, a shuttle service basically to take satellites from near earth orbit out to uh, geostationary orbit. Okay. That is so far away from what I do every it's day. It's above your head for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get out the clicker. Definitely Where's the clicker? <laughs> I need the clicker because the bad puns were already up to three. Uh, maybe I'll just roll without it. Normally I have a clicker. I penalize Matt for a number of different things. Did you find it? Okay. I penalize you oh, today. Wow. Dang it. <laughs> This so, is what so this is us, what happens when you let your own technology get away from you. So tell us more about what your company does. Basically, what, what we have developed is very high-end fasteners. And essentially, for the first time, a permanently locking fastener, uh, meaning a nut and a bolt, um, that if you were to leave it alone, it's permanently locked. But yet, with a standard off-the-shelf six-point socket, you can unlock it, you can perform whatever maintenance is necessary, and then you can reuse it. So it's not permanent. Well, it is and it isn't. <laughs> if you leave it alone, it's permanent. With a socket, it's not. So, you know, Matt, then, then the, I'm going to flex the limited construction and building knowledge that I have. But when you have a screw or a fastener, and it's easy to basically crush whatever you're trying to tighten it down on. So when it comes to certain things that you're building, that precision nature of like having the torque be exactly correct is crucial, right? Yes. Uh, and when the socket is on, the nut is totally free spinning. So you can put an accurate uh, amount of torque or preload, or which is clamping force, uh, onto your whatever you're clamping. 
To give you an idea, in aerospace, the requirement for a self-locking nut is to withstand 30,000 cycles of vibration. Uh, and it's a pretty um, rigorous test. Um, we took ours up to 300,000 cycles. Okay. Wow. So now, all right. So to give kind of the layman's version of that is, you know, you were explaining a lot of the, and we're going to have to post pictures. Yeah. So show, show, let me see your toys. I, well, I want to fondle your toys. Well, well, <laughs> well hang on, Matt. Hang on. Hand me your nuts. So, <laughs> oh, Wow. You we know, have toys today. You know, and while, and it's funny, Matt, because even though it won't be next to it in the feed, uh, today was the episode about HR, and you may have just committed some HR violations. That's all right. Um, but, I like uh, your nuts. These are cool. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Give me the clicker. It already <laughs> says 46 on it, and I feel like that's like very appropriate. So a lot of this is used in aerotech and space-type technology, but you know, back to what I was saying about being able to fasten things with precision, if you clamp something down a little too tight or at a wrong angle, it can change the – it changes the uh, the way the wind or the different forces is – That why is that so important? Well, it's, it's particularly important when you're clamping composites. Um, and nowadays in aerospace, uh, companies are moving more and more to using composites, meaning carbon. Um, and with composites, if you have too much clamping force, you crack the composite. If you have too little, you have a loose joint, which will eventually fail. Another big use of, of these fasteners would be to replace, uh, castle nuts. A castle nut basically has, uh, that's, has six slots in the nut and you have a pre-drilled hole in the bolt. So you torque it. To, and when you get uh, to the point where you have the amount of torque that you want, you line up the slots with the pre-drilled hole and you put a, a cotter pin through it. But the problem there is with um, uh, critical applications where an engineer might spec a very narrow range of torque because he wants a certain clamping force. To your point fr from earlier, you don't want too much, you don't want too little. Well, if you have only six slots you may find that when you get to that part, it doesn't line up. And so what mechanics do uh, is take the nut off and they try another nut. And they keep repeating that process until they can get things lined up. Because they can't over-tighten it just enough to get the holes to line up. Exactly. That's, that's actually an issue, uh, for example, on the landing gear of the, of the F-35. Um, so with our fastener on a half inch or larger, we can have 50 gradations of torque. So more likely that the first time you put it on, it'll it'll have the appropriate amount of torque. Can I see your other nuts? By the sure. way, t today's vocabulary test is going to be off the charts. So I've, these are, you know, I guess like all little boys, I, I like, you know, construction equipment and these are fascinating nuts and bolts and screws and stuff you got here, like. They're pretty cool. So, by the way, as we get into the backstory of how this started, I'm giving you three guesses for what Harold did, what his his uh, his day job was for a while. Go ahead. Um, he was a mechanic. Wrong. Um, faster. You're running out of time. You have three seconds. <laughs> I, he was a precision grinder. Also wrong. Um, he did CAD drawings. Also wrong. Harold know. is a neurosurgeon. Oh, 
Yeah. <laughs> what, what is that? <laughs> and, and never in my wildest dreams did I think I, did I th- uh, think that I would be, be selling nuts yeah. and bolts. So how the hell did you get into the nut business? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> back starting back in uh, – <laughs> 2007, um, I was involved with developing a spinal I'm just kidding. Spinal Fastener business. Um, basically, with a few other people, developed a spinal implant. FDA oh. required that it survive 5 million cycles of, of compression, 5 million of torque without loosening. Oh. And on our original design, we had one fastener fa- uh, fail at four, four, and a, uh, four and a quarter million. So I had to come up with a, a lock. That makes sense. And so I invented this lock and then realized it would have a lot of other industrial applications. So I kept the intellectual property separate, licensed it back to the spine company, and then put it into Endurolock. And, and that other company is known as Spinal Simplicity. That is correct. And that, I believe that's one of Kansas City's top 50 funded yes. startups. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. As, as is Endurolock. Yeah. There you go. Wow, look at that. This guy, he's just dominating. Very cool. <laughs> so in today's lesson from Harold Hess, man, this is, that's, well, congratulations on the success that you found with with both startups. Um, you know, st- uh, startups aren't easy. They don't come with owner's manuals. So <laughs> so just add back to, and still into the origin story here. So as a neurosurgeon, you saw a problem that that needed to be solved. And that, and basically what you described, what did it fuse vertebra? Is that? It does. Uh, it takes the place of putting screws and rods in and performing a fusion in the low back. Okay. And with the implant uh, that spinal simplicity has, uh, instead of taking three to four hours to put in screws and rods, the last one that I personally did took 12 minutes. Oh, wow. And it's through, you don't have to open the whole back. It's through a small incision on the side, goes down a tube. Uh, it's all muscle dilation instead of cutting, so very little post-operative pain. In fact, in Italy, uh, where we've been selling for a number of years, uh, they let the patients go back to work in a day or two. Wow. Um, Think about that, dude. You have, cool. you have 12 minutes to screw someone's spine together. Could you do it? I'm I could do it. Yeah, yeah, I, I could do you it. Could. With his la- help. You're the last person. Yeah, I was going to say. but yeah, You don't trust me? Uh, no, no. Is that a simple enough answer? Okay. So now you are, this is still gotta, you know, we have to evolve this backstory a little bit. So now you, all right. So you find a solution with spinal simplicity. How did you arrive at realizing that you had some kind of addressable market with these other things? Cause this, I mean, clear, none of the pieces that you have on the table, I would want installed in my spine. They're pretty, <laughs> they're, they're pretty big and that they're must pretty be tiny. durable. Right. Yeah. Like the big piece here, which is what, how big is this one? That's a three quarter inch. Okay. I mean, this thing is like, this looks it like. It weighs a pound or something. It's may, yeah. Maybe this looks like something that would, that would lock down like a large, connect two very heavy pieces of something together. Correct. So how did you evolve this into like, Hey, maybe this is something NASA would want or they, the air force. Well, it was actually a few months later after um, uh, working on the spinal implant and inventing the lock that I looked at it one day and I said, well, wait a second. If, if I make some modifications, um, I could have a fastener that for the first time permanently locks, but yet is reversible and reusable. In the uh, spinal implant, for example, the original design that's out in Europe, um, it's a, it's a one-way spinal implant. In other words, it locks in place, and you can't really easily reverse it. 
uh, with this, uh, as we evolve the technology, you can use a normal socket just to take it off and then put it back on whenever you perform whatever maintenance you needed. Well, the importance of that is if you've ever fastened two things together and they're locked, like you mentioned, it can right. be kind of a violent process to right. undo them. Yeah. I mean, that's it. So I would imagine if that's in your spine, that's bad. You get one try. <laughs> well, and then it's totally different if you're going to ship, ship the said thing to Mars. Yeah. Right. And it's yeah. got to withstand all the heat and vibration of that. You know, that's a whole different set of if we're going to get that listener on Mars that we've been looking for yes. to complete the cycle, this is an important part of the process. Maybe he could help us with the space station. We need the <laughs> listener from the space station first. Well, I'm actually, we're in the process right now of miniaturizing the fastener down to four, mil four millimeters in diameter because uh, th that was at the request that uh, from the engineers at NASA Goddard, um, JPL, and uh, Marshall. And JPL is the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, right? That's that's correct. I've yeah. I've had meetings at all three of those, as well as at NASA Stennis. Stennis does all the engine testing for NASA, as well as for other companies. Matt, so, cur currently not on my call list, NASA. <laughs> so you said four millimeters. How big is the one in the the spinal? Uh, that goes between eight millimeters and sixteen millimeters. And how big is this? Uh, that one is, uh, I believe, five sixteenths. Uh, we've gone down to... Uh, so the one in the spine is bigger than this? It it can be, yes. Wow. So Jill's, Jill's sister has uh, some, has like basically like a rod in mm -hmm. her spine. Mm -hmm. And I think she would have appreciated your approach <laughs> because it's invasive. It was, they did have to like cut her back open basically. Right. And she can't bend mm -hmm. over. I mean, I think that was part of it, but it was, you know, I was talking to her about it when we were in Indianapolis over Man. the summer and it was, I mean, they basically bolted a rod to her back. Right. So, right. okay. So back to the startup nature of this. So here, spinal simplicity, you find a solution. Now you think that you're onto something else. How did you go about turning this into a business? Like, did you find other people to work with you? Did you fund it yourself? Like how, what's the story that, that occurred with that? Sure. In the very beginning, um, I have two kids, uh, both have MBAs. And the three of us participated in uh, University of Missouri, Kansas City's uh, e-scholar program, okay. which at the time was uh, close to a one-year program. So through that program, we developed a business plan uh, for the fasteners. And we also had one mentor who uh, was a former um, CIO, I, be I believe, at uh, BE Aerospace. Uh, BE Aerospace has since been acquired, but they were the major supplier of seating for commercial jets. So that's who I need to address about why the seats are so small. Uh, you might. <laughs> I got tall people problems, man. I, well, I'm going to get those numbers from you. After it, it, if I'm not mistaken, actually, FAA is doing a study uh, shortly to look at um, how how long it takes to evacuate a plane with the seats being as small as they are. And if it takes longer than it's in their manual, so to speak, then the uh, airlines need to change things. Oh, let's hope. <laughs> let's hope. So let's hope those volunteers are a little slow. Okay. So you guys go through a, um, a one-year process and, you know, and now here you go. Like the thing is these things didn't manufacture themselves. So how do you, how do you get about doing that? Right. Well, once, as we were going through that process, we were prototyping some early stage um, uh, fasteners. And we were able to get a meeting with the standards, uh, fastener standards engineer at Spirit Aerosystems down in Wichita. I think of the, the standards engineers as kind of the gatekeepers 
um, they determine which fasteners can be used um, by by the design engineers. And so we met with him. He said that uh, he hadn't seen anything like it uh, in the industry, thought it was so unique that he thought we should go for a new national aerospace standard. He got us invited to the National Aerospace Standards Committee meeting. Uh, and that was uh, about almost four years ago. And uh, I got to know the standards engineers from all of the primes. So in other words, uh, Boeing, Airbus, Raytheon, so forth. Um, we eventually decided that we did want to go forward with uh, establishing a new national aerospace standard. And we picked up sponsorship from Bell Helicopter and Boeing. Did you patent this stuff along the way? Is that part of it? Yes. Um, for the fasteners, we're up to nine U.S. patents issued, a Canadian patent issued, notice of allowance of a European patent, and we are patent pending on 24 others between the U.S., Canada, Europe, um, Japan, Australia, India, and China. Okay. Yeah, so and this, how did you – what was the process to go about getting this approved for medical use? I mean, was that a long – that was a long process with FDA. We originally submitted initially, and they turned us down, uh, going through a 510K, meaning showing equivalence to another product. Um, we spent a number of years selling in Europe and then redesigned the product, uh, resubmitted. They wanted more testing, which went on for over a year, and then finally we got FDA approval. Since then, I, I, we've gotten a couple other FDA approvals on modifications of the spinal implant. I can only imagine, like as a business owner, you're like, you build this thing, you're so excited and you're like, okay, now sit for the next five years while the government approves it. Yeah, like, we've oh talked about that. We've had some, you know, we've been branching out the subject matter that we've mm -hmm. addressed here and we just did a episode with, um, um, man, I can't remember, of course, they, they had in, basically reinvented the crutch. Okay. And had done a great job with it, but they, so the, the background that that founder had was he was, he was a product engineer. He and his wife both were. So now as a neurosurgeon, you understood the spinal part, but did you have to go through a whole process to like, cause these obviously need manufacturing and. Right. Well, obviously you, you employ a team of engineers as well. So, um, you know, you, you design with the engineers and I designed with my partner as well. And we came up, uh, you know, with the implants, but you know, to give, put things into perspective, we started that in 2007 and we've had U.S. approval um, for approximately four years. Yeah. So, and he was mentioning that there. So and I didn't realize the complexity because not only did they have to build the product, they also had to build machines to test them. Correct. Mm. So correct. you just talk about like your the things that you could forget right. or not know through lack of experience. You're like, hey, I'm going to make a bolt, but you might have to also build something to test the bolt. And do a whole lot of different stuff. And that just sounds like. Well, not so much of getting approved by the FDA is like the rigorous testing and proving yeah. all the testing. And right. And it's more than that, actually, that because stuff. it's, it's, it's uh, you go through the whole process of getting FDA approval. Now you get your FDA approval and you find out that insurance companies aren't paying for it because yeah. they say it's experimental. <laughs> so have you become, so your, you know, a solution for this for spinal, has it become kind of the industry standard at this point? It, it's gradually getting accepted. I, I know that the uh, uh, leaders of uh, uh, of the departments in spine at, for example, Cedars-Sinai in LA have adopted this, uh, Rush uh, in Chicago, uh, Hospital for Special Surgery in New York, 
Um, so it, it is getting uh, a, uh, acceptance throughout the medical uh, or through the, throughout the spinal industry. Is the difficult part of that because, you know, as a neurosurgeon, you're used to do, you're trained to do something a specific way. And now all of a sudden there's like a different. Correct. Even So even you just like, procedure. hey, you know, this is what I know how to do different and I training. know this works and right. now I want you to do something different. The big question is why, right? Exactly. You really have to make it uh, apparent as to what the benefits are. Uh, and even when you make that, make it apparent, it's hard to change somebody who's been doing the same thing for the last 20 years. Yeah. Especially if you, yeah, no, I hear you. And that's, I mean, you get somebody who's like, well, I could use that bolt, but the surgery wouldn't last as long and I couldn't bill as much. <laughs> I don't know. Is that, is that really like, no, actually the, the coding is very similar. So uh, <laughs> they, they just have more time. <laughs> I was going to say, I think you probably I can go golf sooner. Yeah. That might be the case. Yeah. I mean, on some of that though, is, um, I think that, um, you know, you're talking about, you, you can invent a great product. You can bring a solution to market that makes sense. But you oftentimes have to go through an education process. You know, it's like because just because you've invented a better way to do something doesn't mean that people inherently or intuitively understand that. So, you know, part of your plan needs to be or needs to, you know, there's a market adoption that isn't always automatic. Exactly. Exactly. And, and the same is true in uh, aerospace. I mean, if the design engineers have, are used to using certain bolts for years, it's hard to get them to change. Right. Uh, and those, and the, the same way you were trying. So there was a, um, I went uh, in Indianapolis, there's a, um, uh, a really cool, uh, airplane, uh, repair. Like it's like a mechanic school. And I went, they've got all these airplanes in a hangar and mm -hmm. they're, you know, taking them apart and put them back together. And the same way as a neurosurgeon, those guys are trained to do something a specific way. And if you change it, they're like, yeah, I don't yeah. know about that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, part of it comes down to also saving time and therefore money. And that, that's what, uh, at least in, in the industrial fastener world, that's what makes people change. Um, you know, the example that I gave before, as far as uh, uh, replacing castle nuts uh, with this fastener, you know, going from six gradations of torque to 50, um, you save time. You, you're not keep, you know, keep trying different nuts and, and waiting until one works. Because the more time you spend, the more money you've spent as a company. Is that how is that how you sell that to the? That's exactly how we sold it to Gulfstream, for okay. example. Uh, Gulfstream wants to replace castle nuts and cotter pins across their fleet. Um, Halliburton uh, wants to use our fasteners because uh, they can they can uh, eliminate uh, a mechanic. Basically, right now they need on mm. fracking pumps and blenders they need a mechanic on the top and a mechanic underneath to bolt everything down to the chassis. With our fasteners, uh, they can eliminate the mechanic underneath and have that mechanic working on making more uh, fracking pumps and blenders. So how they, they how get, much does that mechanic typically earn per hour? I don't know. I um, didn't know. I mean, that's a skilled trade, yeah, so, so it's not cheap. Right, for, exactly. for somebody like Gulfstream that is currently using uh, castle, castle bolts, nuts. As, which is like a standard nut and bolt, but it has a cotter pin that goes through the, the nut, right? Right. Uh, in layman's term for me, um, how much difference is the cost to them? Like compared to like what I have in my hand here, which might be a replacement. Well, the, the product that you have in your hand is actually a product that we designed over the last eight months uh, that employs a stamping and forging process. So with a stamping and forging process, we can get the cost down to single digits. So you, you'll find that it's, it's really not a huge uh, difference, um, you know, in price. 
uh, between what they currently use and and these fasteners. The so, big, like, so would this be like five dollars or something? Is that what we could at, at higher quantities. We probably can get it down to that that level. Yes. Okay. You know, at uh, at, at quantities of let's say ten thousand, we're probably looking at a price of around eight in okay. that range. So, how much do the how much do you sell the ones for that they use in the spinal? What does one of those cost? Um, I believe that the list price is fifteen thousand. Wow, fifteen thousand dollars. Yes, but is it much different than the eight dollar? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Oh, it's 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 much more. I mean, the, the only similarity between what you have in it your can't hand can't be that different. Yeah, what the only sim- probably made of titanium or it something. It is. It yeah. is made out of titanium, and okay. and there's a lot more to it than just uh, a nut and a bolt. I mean, there's there's uh, it's a it's a pretty machine product. You know. Very different than, than just looking at a nut and bolt. So with something like this, you were mentioning, you know, vibration and different stuff to test. How do you test something that would go in someone's spine? There's not much margin for error there. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of tests that you have to perform. But but basically, they have tests that you, you implanted in a, shall we call it an artificial spine. And then uh, the machine uh, does compression. The machine does uh, you know, bending forward and backwards, torque, you know, so forth. Okay, so recently you were chosen to represent the United States at the Global Entrepreneurship Summit in Hague. That is correct. That was in uh, June. Uh, we were chosen uh, as one of the uh, representatives of the U.S. And I went to the Netherlands and had a great time meeting entrepreneurs from all over the world. Is that something you applied for or did they were you selected? Um they had i was asked at um an, uh, we we were also part of the uh south by southwest nasa competition and i was asked by one of the state department officials at who who was there that we should apply harold's super connected it's what i'm gathering <laughs> he knows people in the state department nasa but no i mean that's got to be an important part of what you're doing. I mean, someone has to make a decision on these things. And you, you, it seems, you know, one of the things I always talk about with startups is understanding your path to revenue. It seems like you've, you've chosen some things that have a very long, I'm not going to even say a path or like a highway to revenue because dealing with the government, those aren't, that's not fast to get them to adopt anything and approve anything either. No, it's, it's, it's a long process. Uh, We've been working, for example, on a joint development project with Superior Energy for offshore well completions. That project's been going on for approximately two and a half years. Testing uh, was just completed. So they plan to commercialize um, uh, in the next couple months. So, so that's, that's what has to make this so hard because you go through all that work and they're like, Oh, we want five thousand dollars worth of your fasteners. It's like, oh my god. Yeah, but the thing work. is, is like, it's got to be a much bigger order. It's yeah, but Matt, when it. you're when you're building, like, <laughs> right. you know, how much you said F thirty five earlier, like, right. a fighter pilot or fighter plane. Like, how much does one of those cost? A lot. Yes. And if it's, I mean, and if there's a piece that makes that something makes that better mm-hmm. somehow or somewhat, I don't think they're really like. Like, you know what? I'm going to need 8% off on that order. I mean, am I right about that? I mean, yeah, it's like, yeah, you are. I mean, again, if you can save them time, you save them money. and that's Or and if that's you can they, give them performance that right. is not available somewhere else, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, and these other materials too, like we mentioned, like we were just talking about carbon fiber and titanium and stuff like these things are cheap. Yeah. Then, uh, yeah. In, in fact, the- So uh, ruining panels and stuff like that, not good. To give you an idea, the, one of the components that we make uh, for superior energy uses a special alloy of titanium, a, f- a five-foot bar, one-inch diameter, which would give us 50 um, springs for the fastener, 
costs uh, seventeen hundred and fifty dollars. So that gives you an idea of you know the and that's a special alloy. I feel like mm. when they attached Wolverine's claws, <laughs> that Endurolock got yeah. the contract to hold those down because those had to be stable. I mean, you don't want any you don't want any play with those, right? So, so and yes. So do you uh, do you make some of these out of like pure carbon fiber or other? No, we've we've made them purely out of metal so far. We are exploring pot- potentially going into plastics as well. Okay, so you're here in Kansas City, right? Yes. Are all your employees here? No, um, I have uh, two employees here in Kansas City. I have uh, my VP of engineering out in LA. Um, and then we have two part-time engineers, one in LA, one down in Houston. Um, the one in, in, basically the part-timers have, uh, between the two of them, probably 30 years of experience in aerospace fasteners. And my VP of engineering was uh, VP of research and development for Lisi Aerospace. So is, where do you make these then? We make them uh, using contract manufacturing here in the U.S. We've also made them in Taiwan. Okay. Um, it really depends on the customer. What's yeah. been the challenge with, you know, manufacturing stuff? Do you have like hundreds of SKUs? I, we have, obviously, it's, it's many, many different sizes, many different materials. And that's got to be a big part of the complication of manufacturing. Right. But we don't stock them on the shelves. So in other words, it's if... Uh, Meaning uh, there's no SKU amount. Yeah. Right. I mean, like like Halliburton actually uh, sent a uh, request for quoting uh, two weeks ago for 18 different size uh, fasteners to be used on fracking pumps and blenders. So, so you don't really have any like standard sizes that you build in stock? And not in stock. No. Huh. I think what he's also saying is you don't go to Lowe's and buy these. Well, yeah, I, I get that, but <laughs> do you remember what SKU stands for? We had a previous, we need to ask him that. <laughs> I don't actually know. You know, it's funny. I didn't know after running the chain of retail store, stock, stock keeping unit. Oh, SKU. Yeah. I don't know. It's a weird, weird thing. Okay. I want to go back to the Global Entrepreneur Summit for a second because I think that's pretty cool. So can you tell us a little about like about the actual summit? Like who else was there? And like, is that something that you're trying to win? Is it something that you're just representing? You're representing, you're interfacing with other uh, entrepreneurs uh, from numerous com- countries around the world. Um, each year it's hosted by a different country. This Past, uh, this year was hosted uh, by the Netherlands and the U.S. Um, the year before was in India. Um, but it's, it's also an opportunity to interface with uh, potential investors. Um, and in, in my case, uh, a few months earlier, we had entered, uh, independent of the uh, Entrepreneurship Summit, we had entered a Shell oil competition, which we won. And so while we were at the, uh, while I was at the Hague, I also met with a team of engineers from Shell Oil, um, which was, you know, very exciting. Uh, and that the challenge, the corporate challenge that they had is how do you improve safety through less human interaction with offshore wind farms? You okay. Can, you can imagine if, if you have this uh, wind farm in the uh, North Sea where uh, the ocean is pretty rough. And you have maintenance boats that go out there and have to uh, maintain the these windmills. 
you don't want the you don't want the blade falling off, man. I think that's that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> so, Harold, this is this all sounds really expensive. Um, have you sought outside investment? Is this something you funded? Is uh, where you know? And if you don't feel comfortable talking about it, but that's always a hot topic with any of our listeners or people that come in here. Is like, how do I fi- how do I fund my dreams? Sure. I mean, initially, initially, I put money in myself. Um, since then, we've had uh, individual investors that have invested um, in the company. We um, we have a round of investment open right now, as an example, you know, for qualified investors. Okay. So it, sometimes are the people that invest in what you're doing also the people that are your clients? Uh, it hasn't happened yet with us, but uh, uh, you do uh, find that you you have corporate investors. So for example, uh, um, Boeing has a venture arm. Uh, Lockheed Martin has a venture arm. So they, they look for companies where they'll put some money into the company. And then uh, at some later point, if the company is doing well and they're interested in the technology, then they acquire the company. Yeah. I was going to say, is that the exit path? And is that, is this, does this, is, is that the, the likely outcome with the company is to, seek an exit or is this something where you guys just keep making nuts and bolts and, and because <laughs> oh, no, once you've made this technology exists and then it's not, it's not, it's not nearly as expensive. It's, it's the, it's the creation of it and bringing it to market. That's the most expensive part, right? That is correct. Um, we will eventually exit either, uh, more than likely through an acquisition from, um, another fastener company, you know, a larger fastener company, um, potentially IPO. You know, the, the thing that with that's so unique about these products is the, they have application throughout every industry. Right. So we keep, uh, it's almost like every month we're finding new applications or new interest from, from other industries. I mean, so far, uh, as I mentioned, we're, uh, we've been working with superior energy with Halliburton, uh, on the oil and gas side. Uh, Gulfstream um, on the aerospace side. Now NASA, they have a few different projects that that uh, we're looking at doing with them. But uh, just to, uh, another example is we have somebody that's very interested in licensing the product uh, for um, Australia. He has a manufacturing plant in Australia and he c- currently sells to the mining industry. Yeah, that was my next question is also licensing the patent technology. Is that Does that become a revenue center for this? or It does. It okay. does because basically then you're just getting a percentage off of uh, gross profits or, or gross sales, I should say. Um, we have another individual that I've met with already uh, who sells um, fasteners. He's a, he's a major supplier of fasteners to the Indian Space Agency as well as Indian Defense. So we have meetings that are being set up um, in India in the month of December for me to meet with those organizations. Uh, that would, again, be a, a, a license. The fellow who um, has the Australian company also has a company that sells uh, uh, parts to the racing industry. His background was actually racing. So um, we will be exhibiting with him uh, at Performance Racing Industries, which is the annual show for race car enthusiasts. Well, that's what I was going to ask you is would it make sense to use these on just a normal car? You can if you can get the price down. And that's the reason why we went to the uh, forged and stamped versions. 
which, believe, which is what I have here. Correct. Like this, to me, this looks like a bolt you would find at Lowe's. Yeah, I, I mean, agree. from the quality. Right. I mean, I don't. Well, know, right, not a, I'm a novice. The other one, the, this, like this, this doesn't look like a here. titanium bolt to me. It looks like a. So now this is the one. Store bolt. The, this is the one with a totally different to, fastener. This right. is the one that I thought was interesting because it's got like a swivel pivot thingy. Right. This we designed a new. Uh, Ooh, uh, Let me see. Access panel fastening system. Um, with an, uh, when when you have um, access panels on planes and and helicopters, for example, you you want to be able to access the, the hydraulics, the fuel line, so forth. So you have these panels um, with bolts uh, all along the rim of the panel, and in aerospace, they want to uh, always retain the bolt to the panel because you might have different length bolts at different points of, of that panel. It's not hard when you have a panel that's only a few feet um, in size. But, for example, on the belly of the plane, you can have a panel that's 15 meters long with a few hundred bolts. Well, as, you, as the mechanics go to line everything up, you can well imagine that some of the bolts are not going to line up properly. Um, with current nut plates, uh, the nuts cannot swivel or tilt. Um, so if you have bolts coming in at an angle, they won't engage. So, so that means more time that the mechanics have to try to you know, line things up better and so forth. Well, with our nut plate, we have a sig significant amount of play where uh, the nut can tilt because it's spring-loaded, uh, so it can engage from a, uh, a bolt coming in from an angle. That would save a tremendous amount of time. And, and uh, just a few weeks ago when I demonstrated that to all the standards engineers um, at the National Aerospace Standards Committee meeting, there was interest from essentially every prime. So, and once again, if you want to check out Enduralock, go to Enduralock.com. Um, and for those of you that are not listening via our YouTube channel, I've been holding some of these things up to the camera. But I think this one's pretty cool because, you know, and, and I'll kind of dumb it down. If you're ever trying to put a screw into the receiving piece, the proverbial male to female piece if it's if you don't hit the right angle or you don't get it threaded correctly it can be a mess and that's what this has like a little swivel pivot and it's also got some push to it which is basically what you're saying is a lot more forgiving for the recipient that is screwing it in exactly yeah. i mean it'll save time yeah. therefore money and I'm assuming when you're when you mentioned the belly of an airplane that if you get one screw wrong uh, that can mess up you just put took the time to put in 200 screws right. and getting one of them wrong could mean starting over, right? It could. It could, exactly. The so, level of precision has to be so high with a giant piece of sheet metal or whatever with all those holes in it. Right. And, and the thing with this nut plate is it self-aligns. So as, as the mechanic yeah. starts putting the bolt in, it will align the plate. Yeah, and that's the point. It's like you talk about that time. It's just like I've done that. You're just like, I mean, it could be something simple like trying to put a doorknob on. Oh, yeah. Right. And now, and now you've, and I man, if you've ever run a screw into something and like messed up the thread or like you, I don't know. I, I don't know. I've probably made every construction error that is possible to be made. So, well, this is all really interesting. So, um, and as we kind of round out today's episode, first off, uh, you can check out today's episode and see our uh, thrilling and very, uh, very demonstrative um, examples of this, which is basically me holding it up to the camera on YouTube. We'll also be posting some pictures of what Enduralock builds, and you can check those out at at Startup Hustle Podcast on on the Instagram. Um, so as we round this out, we end the episodes with what we have now lovingly called the Founders Freestyle, and we 
just kind of walk down the line. And um, I, Harold, what I think would what most would what most will use their their freestyle time for is giving advice to up and coming entrepreneurs, but you can say about whatever you want to the world. So we kind of hand over the mic to you and, uh, and it's been how we've been closing things out and it's been quite interesting and fun. So, well, one a bit of advice that I would give to other entrepreneurs out there is look at technology in one industry and see in your mind how you can apply it to another, because that's where you can really make a uh, disruptive change to another industry. Um, you know, don't don't limit yourself just to uh, whatever your focus focused industry is, because when you start applying it to other industries, you all of a sudden find that there's nothing like it out there in that other industry. Mr. Watson, I think today's uh, company is a great example of somebody that is in a profession, in an industry, doing their job and they see a problem. And because of their industry knowledge, they're able to use that to solve a problem, right? So you, know, you figure out, hey, we need, a, we need a better fasting system for, for spinal cords and whatever. And you're able to see that problem and solve it, right? And that's where the best startups and entrepreneurs come from is they're working in an industry, they see a problem that only they understand because they're working in that industry and they go solve it. Where you have a lot of people who are like, I want to start my own business, but I don't know what to do, right? Which is a whole lot more difficult. But if, but if you know, you're in an industry and you see a problem you can solve and you go solve it, that's awesome. And it's great. Like you said, you were able to take this problem and then figure out how to solve it in other use cases, which is great. And I, and to me, what's, what's so cool about this is it seems like such a simple thing. Like we've invented a butter nut and bolt fastener, right? Like that is so cool. You would have thought that we'd already invented that. You have have reinvented, you know, nuts and bolts and fasteners, which is so cool. And I'm just looking at these things and I'm just kind of puzzled at how they work. You're going to have to give me more of a demo of this. Sure. Because the mechanic side of me is like, how does this thing work? But I just think it's so cool. It seems like such a, a low tech thing, right? But has such high tech use cases. Right. It's it's a, it's a really relatively cool. simple design. Yeah. It's so cool. I love it. Yeah. And, and as we, and for those of you listening, once again, thank you. Um, I, I'm going to stay in line with you guys here as, as we round this out and just like, I love repurposing any kind of technology and, you know, the R and D cost of what you're doing drops every time you find another use case for it. And, um, you know, like Harold, how big is the fasteners industry? Cause it's huge. Uh, currently it's about 88 billion right. and expected to rise to 130 billion in the next few years. That's insane. Yeah. And so, but would you have guessed that, Matt? Like, no. Yeah. So, you know, here you are, you're building something else. You know, Harold, Harold starts as a neurosurgeon and now you're, he, he's become, wants, is going to become a titan in the fastener industry. It's the master of nuts but, and bolts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just as, a, as an example, one thing that we're working on right now is scaling the fastener also larger to two to three inch diameter bolts. Uh, the purpose being for pipelines. Yeah. Currently, um, there is no locking bolt for pipelines. It's just a nut and a bolt. If we can scale this up, we can lock it. Therefore, we can reduce oil spillage. And there are, we estimate, over 2 billion bolts used in pipelines wow. around the world. And, and eventually they fail? Yes. And you get a leak? Yes, exactly. Well, you heard it here first. 
So go to EnduraLock.com, check out what they're doing. Harold, I want to wish you all the best of luck. I think this is really cool. Thanks for coming in. I, I know between fusing spines and, and changing aero technology, you're a busy guy. I think this is uh, great. I want to wish you all the best. By the way, it's SpinalSimplicity.com, right? That is true. Yeah, so you can also go check them out. Yep, th- thank you to both of you. Yeah, yeah pleasure you. being here. Very cool. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for coming in. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCarsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.